Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Lots of crazy things going on in the world. Crazy, odd, confusing, and downright evil things going on in the world. There's good things too, of course. God is always shining through. Of course, we'd like him to shine through a lot more. I think we all feel that way. But we don't have to lose our heads over this. Although there was someone who did. He lost his head so that we would not lose ours. He lost his head to keep the faith so we would keep our faith. And that's who we celebrate today, that event. As you know, I'm probably talking about the beheading of St. John the Baptist. It's actually a pretty significant holy day in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. Beheading of St. John the Baptist. Our custom is to not eat anything served on a platter or that's round in shape. So we stay away from tomatoes and head lettuce and so on. And we don't serve things on a platter. It's just a tradition. See, these traditions, these things that we do in the church, East and West, some of them are what we call sacramentals. For instance, this past month, we blessed fruit on the Feast of the Transfiguration. We blessed flowers on the Feast of the Dormition or the Assumption of the Mother of God. And we bring those things to our homes and they're sacramentals, not sacraments, they're sacramentals. In other words, they're blessed, they're incorporated into the sacramentality of the feast, but they keep us connected with it. They're like tangible reminders, tangible conduits into the mystery of the faith. The fruit, of course, is because fruit transfigures. It changes from a seed into a succulent, incredible thing that we call fruit, you know, plums and cherries and grapes and so on. So good for you, so beautiful, tasty. And so it was at the transfiguration of our Lord at Mount Tabor. He transfigured before the eyes of the three apostles, Peter, James, and John. And also, our spiritual life is about continual transfiguration, moving from glory to glory, becoming more and more in the image and likeness of God. Then in the Feast of the Dormition, as we say in the Eastern churches, or the Assumption, we have the blessing of the flowers and herbs. Again, mindful of the fact that according to tradition, when the apostles came to the tomb of the Virgin Mary, she was gone, having risen, 
gone to heaven, body and soul intact. In other words, assumed her assumption. And the only thing left was the burial wrappings, just like with Christ's tomb, and the fragrance of flowers. These things also coincide with the harvest season. So it's a way of taking our daily life. Many people, of course, many cultures were largely rural. So the harvest would have been obviously a big deal for most believers. And they would connect that with the church. The church would connect itself with these people, with their lived experience. They were farmers and agricultural people living off the land, growing their own food and fruit. So they'd bring that to the church to have it blessed, to offer that up, to connect it with their faith. But it also reminds us of the actual feast days, Transfiguration and the Dormition. So once again, still in August, this last feast day in August, August is a pretty rich month for holy days. In this last feast day, we stay away from things on a platter and things that are round in nature in terms of food. And that, again, draws us into the mindfulness of this event of St. John the Baptist and his beheading. We call him St. John the Forerunner in the Eastern churches. And in fact, his icon often depicts him wearing wings because he was a messenger. He brought the message ahead of Christ about the coming of Christ. Remember, repent, reform your lives. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he even did that. He went ahead of Christ at his death. The liturgical text tell us that St. John the Baptist died before Christ, so he can go into Hades and walk through Hades, warning them down there that, hey, keep up, don't lose your head. Christ is coming. He's going to come down here a little while and do the ultimate battle. He's going to free all of you. You're going to be able to get to heaven, which before you could not until Christ died on the cross, paid the ransom, descended into hell, and broke the bonds of Satan. So that's what he announced as he walked through the underworld where people, even though they were righteous, could not go to heaven yet. They weren't suffering in hell. They were just in some kind of holding pattern. We don't know. It's a mystery. But no one could enter heaven completely until Christ had opened the gates by knocking down the gates of hell. Again, we always look through the liturgical text to draw out the relevancy of these feast days. And they are relevant. That's why we enter into them and with sacramentals, little traditions, so that we take what we experience in the liturgy and in church and we take it home, take it to the workplace, take it to school, put that blessed fruit in your little lunchbox, put that flower on your kitchen table in a nice vase, dry it out, put it in your Bible between wax paper or something. People do that. That's part of the custom too. So we enter into these feast days because they are relevant for us. They're formative. In one of the prayers of the Vespers, we say this, After dancing, the disciple of the all-evil Satan requested your head as her payment, O forerunner. What a bloody banquet. Would that you had not made that vow, O sinful Herod, offspring of a lie, since you did make it. Would that you had not carried it out. For it would have been better to have gone back on your oath and received life than remaining true to your oath to cut off the head of the forerunner. As for us, let us worthily venerate and bless the baptizer, for he is the greatest man born of woman. Now, these very dramatic, detailed narratives here are what we call dogmatic hymns, and we would actually be singing as to our ancient traditional chant. But the words, as you can see, are pretty graphic, pretty real. But where it says, for it would have been better to have gone back on your oath than received life than remaining true to your oath, to have cut off the head of the forerunner, 
that gives us a good lesson in life, one that is very relevant to today, because there are many things today that challenge our integrity, our faith. Do we just go along with the crowd because it's easier? We're afraid of how we'll look. Oh, maybe we'll get sued. This is especially true with this whole COVID saga here. What to do, what not to do, what to go along with, what not to go along with. We see this in many areas of our life right now. Controversial issues, you know, the critical race theory, the transgenderism, these things that are hot issues now, racism and so on. These are things in which we're basically intimidated into ascribing to a certain way to look at them, accept them, and speak about them. It's like we're all given our little packet, and many things in that packet are wrong. They're coercions. They're trying to force an ideology onto our culture and in the church. The church is always the ultimate target. And the question is, would we stand up to these things? Would we reject them? Would we try to correct them? Well, many times we don't because we're simply afraid. So we go with the easier way to avoid harm to ourselves or embarrassment, people talking about us, making fun of us, losing a friend, losing our esteem in their eyes. These are things that challenge us even today. So here comes the feast day of St. John the Baptist. So what does it tell us? It gives us an example of a man who was willing to lose his head because he spoke the truth it would not come off the truth, though he was warned to stop talking. He wouldn't do it. So he, as you know the story, in the gospel, St. John had his head cut off and served on a silver platter. But Herod was more bothered by John the Baptist after he died than when he could hear him screaming from his prison, repent, repent, you have no business being with your brother's wife, you're a sinner, you're an adulterer. He couldn't stand that. But it was even louder in his ears after John the Baptist died. And so it is with death, martyrdom. Oftentimes, that is when the message, the example of the saint speaks the loudest. Let's look at some other text here and see what kind of lessons we have. Here it says, the glorious beheading of the forerunner. Now, this is from the Matin service, the morning prayer service. The glorious beheading of the forerunner was part of God's saving plan, that the coming of the Savior might be announced even to those in the abyss. Weep then, Herodias, that you asked for a wicked murder, because you loved neither God's law nor eternal life, but only the passing pleasure of life. There's a liturgical reference to what I was saying before about how the liturgy explains the reason for John's death prior to Christ's death so that he could announce even to those in the abyss, or sometimes we call it Hades, that Christ was coming to save them, to free them, just as he announced in advance the coming of Christ on earth. And it says also here, it gives a warning that if we do not observe the law in this life or care for eternal life, things will go badly for us. Now, Herodias did not heed this, because as these texts say, she loved neither God's law nor eternal life. And sometimes I wonder, it seems like many people are like that today. They do not want to follow the law, meaning the law of God, not just laws in the legal sense, but the way to live according to God's design. That's what the church articulates. Remember, our faith is about seeing, seeing God's plan, the invisible God visible and living according to that. 
But people today, many seem not to want to do that. They don't care for God's way here, nor they really worry about life after death. We'll talk more about the significance of John the Baptist losing his head when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. There are two new books from EWTN Publishing. Grace Explained by Father Brian Milady and Finding Frasati by Christine Wohar. In Grace Explained, Father Brian Milady provides one of the clearest and most luminous explanations of grace ever written, employing the same everyday Catholic language that has made him so popular as an EWTN radio host and retreat master. And Finding Frasati, Blessed Pier Giorgio Frasati, is identified as the man of the eight Beatitudes and recognized as one of the most fascinating and relatable saintly examples of the 20th century. Author Christine Wohar has created a practical guide to Frasati's short but spirited life. Grace Explained and Finding Frasati, available now at EWTNRC.com. Buy Catholic. Shop EWTNRC.com. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas, your host. Before I go any further, we go return back to St. John the Baptist and this great feast of his losing his head for our faith and for the truth. I want to remind you to mark your calendars for a wonderful event. Now, this event is taking place in the greater Chicago area. If you live in that area, it will be convenient for you. However, if you're not in the area, you can still come and attend. Make a, a, a day of it. Make a couple days of it. A unique pro-life benefit concert. This is being sponsored by the Tabor Life Institute that I'm associated with. This is going to be October 9th. And it's going to be held, it's a Saturday, October 9th. It's going to be held at a very interesting place. It's going to be held at the Athenaeum Theater, located in Chicago's Lakeview neighborhood. 
It's on 2936 North Southport Avenue, Chicago. And what's interesting about this is not only the theater itself being historical, it actually belongs to a parish. And what this parish did years ago was to do what Catholic did. It created culture so that you had Catholic culture around the church itself. They had their own theater. So they would teach children and allow people to be become and learn the art of acting, of drama, of great plays right there at their church and their church facility, and they would allow people to come and view it. This was Catholic culture, where everything had that Catholic ethos to it, because everything that really is great does have a Catholic ethos to it. And this used to be more common years ago, especially when they had the Catholic school in the old days. So this is a remnant of that that they're still using. But Athenaeum Theater is where this concert would take place. And it features a singer-songwriter named Danielle Rose, She writes and sings very beautiful music. Danielle Rose. And that concert, again, is October 9th, 2021. You can find out about it and get tickets for it. You can find out more about this concert and get tickets by going to TaborLife.org and clicking on the events page, TaborLife.org. Or you can go to CultureOfLifeConcert.com. CultureOfLifeConcert.com. Again, on Saturday, October 9th, a pro-life benefit concert. We're going to help all the pro-life efforts in this region. So a very worthwhile thing. Speaking of worthwhile things, St. John the Baptist losing his head was very worthwhile. And the liturgical texts that speak and draw us into that mystery, that event, are very worthwhile too, because they always have lessons for us. Here's another one, again, from the Matins. And by the way, the Matin service is the morning prayer service in the Eastern churches. It is in the Latin Rite Church, too. In the Eastern churches, it's a pretty big deal. It's actually one of our lengthiest, most lengthiest services, especially during the High Holy Days. The monks of Holy Resurrection Monastery in St. Nanzian, Wisconsin, a great Byzantine monastery, if you want to find out Byzantine prayer and what Byzantine monasticism is about, I recommend you make a visit there. They'll welcome you. St. Nanzian's Byzantine Catholic Monastery of Holy Resurrection in St. Nanzian's, Wisconsin. But they get up in the morning early and they do a very full and rich liturgical day of prayer. And they begin with the Matins prayer. And that actually takes about an hour and 45 minutes every morning. Can you imagine that? Plus, there are other prayers during the day. It's incredible. And you talk about monks being hard workers. It's hard work to pray the divine office. It's very rich, very complex, but very engaging. So it's exhausting. They even take a little break to get through it. (laughs) But at the matin service that the monks do so well, it says this in many of the other liturgical texts. Oh, how the heart of Herod is hardened. He scorns God by disobeying the law, yet he pretends to keep his oath. Not content with adultery, he now becomes a murderer, and yet he pretends to appear sad. By your surpassing compassion, O Christ our God, save our souls, for you alone are compassionate. And again, these texts are sung to our ancient Byzantine Ruthenian chant, but this is just the text from those chants. Again, a lesson for us. Notice what happens to Herod. It says so in this text. Not content with adultery, he now becomes a murderer. This is very characteristic of a lot of sin, especially sin in which we are just trying to save our own necks. That's what Herod was doing because he didn't really want to start out by chopping off John's head, but he made this oath. He got drunk and he made this oath. He fell to the attraction of a woman while he was drunk. And he said, I'll do anything for you if you'll just dance for me. 
while he looked at her lustfully during her dance. And so she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And everybody knew that she made that promise. It was at this big banquet. So the king didn't want to look bad. So instead of being willing to look bad and say, well, no, no, I I went too far. I got a little drunk here. I'm not going to go that far. No, he tried to save face. He put his own face and ego and how he'd appear in front of people first to the point where he was willing to commit two mortal sins, one building on the other. And that's the important point here, that one kind of sin, especially when it's a sin based on our pride, which was what was happening here, he was protecting his own self, his own pride, his own image in front of people. That mattered more to him than anything, as it sometimes does with us, let's face it, and we'll sell out. Well, he did that, and he was already committing a serious sin, adultery. Now, he's going to commit another one. So, one grows out of the other. And this is how sin works. This is how serious sin works. This is what we say in the church as serious sin or mortal sin. It starts you down almost like a runaway train into spiritual darkness where you can't return. You can't get out of it. It can happen. It happened to Judas. It happens to any great sinner. Anyone that enters into sin invariably has to do another sin, just as great or greater. Of course, this is why we have confession, and we need to plead for God's mercy. There is hope. You can always turn around, but it does take you down a terrible place. And this is indicated here in the liturgical text. So it's a lesson for us. We read and sing these texts. We just don't listen to them while the cantor sings. We have a sheet in front of us, the book in front of us, and we make these texts our prayer. So the liturgical texts draw us into this mystery. And and again, they make it relevant to us. Let's look at one more text here. This is from, again, once again, from the Matin service. The Matin service in our church, especially on holy days and on Sundays, is very rich. Lots and lots of dogmatic hymns. The word of the Father will come down to the earth, and the shining angel says to the Theotokos, Rejoice, O blessed one, since you are the one who guarded the bridal chamber. You receive the conception of the eternal God, so that as God he might save the world from error. Now this comes during the Matin service, which in addition to talking about the feast itself, will always say some things about the Virgin Mary. And here, what it's talking about is the bridal chamber. See, the mystical quality of the Virgin Mary, and mystical means that which is most real, is not only that she was the Virgin Mother of our Lord, she was the Mother of God, the Theotokos, meaning that the person she bore in her womb was human, fully human, but also God. So we call her Mother of God. It's more of a statement about Christ, as much of a statement about Christ as it is of her. But she also becomes, ultimately, and this happens at the foot of the cross, it's hinted at at Christ's first miracle at the wedding feast of Cana. His virgin mother ultimately becomes his mystical spouse. She becomes the bride, representative of the church. And Christ, the bridegroom, weds his bride. He consummates a mystical marriage and reconceives the human race on the nuptial bed of the cross. This is how the church fathers looked at this event mystically. It wasn't just Christ dying for our sins. Yes, he did that. But even more, he was reconceiving the human race mystically by becoming the new Adam and his mother becoming the new Eve. So she's, yes, his mother, but also now she becomes mystically the new Eve. That's why he says to her, mother, 
behold your son, meaning behold St. John the Baptist, who's the only one standing there other than the Virgin Mary at the cross. The only other time he called his mother woman was, as I mentioned, at his first miracle, the wedding feast of Cana. And there, when he called her woman, woman is the same name in the original Hebrew for Eve. In fact, Eve's name is a bit of a play on the meaning of word woman. So he's really saying to her, Eve, new Eve, you the new Eve, behold your son. Behold what will be the fruit of our mystical conception here at the cross, where he the new Adam and she the new Eve mystically reconceived the human race. At the foot of the cross was nuptials, not just sin, not just dying in bloodshed and suffering. Yes, it was that, but it was a mystical kind. It was more like a marriage, a dying to self as married couples do, and a rising then to a new life, a new intimacy. That's what was happening at the cross. It was not defeat. It was not just death and blood. It was that. But as only God can do, he turned it into a mystical marriage. So these texts in this feast day refer in various places even to the Virgin Mary, aside from the feast itself. But entering into this feast day allows us to keep our heads, keep our heads on and keep them focused on what is really important. And above all, it helps us to keep our faith. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Join us for The Miracle Hunter with Michael O'Neill, Saturday at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Miracle Hunter Michael O'Neill delves into the fascinating world of miracles and takes listeners on a hunt that explores the greatest mysteries and marvels of the Catholic Church. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!